Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast. Uh, we are the podcast getting you over the game line on all the hottest topics in Australian rugby. Um, we're back for another week. We've had a few weeks off again, um, but I think it's fair to say there's been a few big issues in Australian rugby that have brought us back to the microphones tonight. And joining me is um, the founder of Green and Gold Rugby himself, uh, Mr. Matt Rowley. Matt, how are you? Good, mate. Um, it's uh, good to be back. And Jamie Miller uh, from the beautiful leafy inner suburbs of Sydney. How's things in your world? Yeah, it's it, it's good. I'm uh, I'm just you know I, I just think that the rugby community can can make us do the podcast more regularly without creating these kinds of incidents specifically to force us <laughs> to have to get our act together. <laughs> yes, well. That, that... That's that's very very fair. And Reg not joining us tonight. He is um, sitting out um, this this week because well, obviously, yes, Red's lost, and 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 obviously we've we've got some issues in New South Wales this week that uh, it's fair to say um, it's fair to say Trump that. And of course, talking about Israel Folau, and this podcast is going to focus on his performance in the 2014 Waratah season. Um, actually, just going through <laughs> real high moments. Um, Reg would want nothing less. No, um, we, we're going to get stuck into the Israel Folau issue tonight um, in in our um, podcast. We're going to talk about um, you know our thoughts on the matter. We're going to talk about then what that means for the Wallabies in the World Cup, and then we're going to have a brief um, discussion on on Super Rugby. But um, let's let's start on the Israel Folau situation and 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 just you know I think everyone really is is up to date broadly on on what happened and. And and where it's at, he's been issued with a breach notice by Rugby Australia, which gives him 48 hours from yesterday to, um, sh- uh, I think, show his intent to appeal that. Um, and if he does, then he goes into a f- formal process. Um, but if he does not, then he his contract is terminated. Um, and I think most people are probably expecting him to, to um, appeal that particular breach notice but nonetheless um we, we're in a bit of state of flux at the moment where obviously ra have, have signaled their intent to terminate him um and he now has the power of appealing that particular judgment um so michael check has come out and said he won't pick him for the world cup michael hooper said um he's uncomfortable playing with him in uh, as things currently stand so I, I think it's fair to say that regardless of what happens with any process the israel falau's career as a wallaby and as a waratah is is over um which is a pretty huge thing to say um considering uh where we were at this point last week um matt i suppose we'll start with you um give me your thoughts i suppose first firstly on on your your sort of high level takeaways from from what he what israel's done and, and how rugby australia's handled that and and where where we are today and and um yeah. yeah, your thoughts on the on the commentary around the situation? <laughs> well, I guess just you know, um, adding into what we know is just. Um, I think the other thing that seemed to get cleared up on the weekend, I saw an article by Andrew Webster um, at the Sydney Morning Herald, basically saying that you know he can be really, really clear that this isn't 
some sort of like negotiation plea, uh, uh, negotiation ploy, I should say. Um, you know, or so it's it's not that there is some amazing contract at league or in France or something like that, and that this is just the kind of get out of the get out of jail um, free card or anything. It is one hundred percent religious zeal on the on the behalf of Israel Folau. So there's you know nothing. Uh, there's nothing more sort of I guess uh, more Machiavellian about it um, than that so it seems to be the word that's coming through um i guess the other bit to talk about is what a paint in there and me just check with you guys it's your guys understanding too that at the end of the day what the aiu is boning him for is basically is a breach of contract around his use of social media not necessarily what's in that if you see what i mean so it's not censure so much for his religious views as much as you know um, we've told you not to be, you know, in, in, inciting stuff on social media without clearance. Yeah, or something that's, like that. am, am that's I right? In spot on. That? Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, I, I um, think as well. To be more specific, I think he has breached the inclusion policy of, of Rugby Australia as well. So, so yes. that was that is what he was found he to have breached last time he did this, and there was discipline for that at that time, and now he's breached it again. So I think that is a that is a formal stated policy of Rugby Australia, which is a probably a, a more the more official I think finding of of because we're not a hundred percent if he does have a social media clause in his contract. Um, I think I've heard from elsewhere that he probably doesn't, but he certainly is um, has to adhere to stated policy of of the Rugby Australia of which the inclusion policy is one. Okay. Um, so anyway, so that's just some of the detail on it. So it it is a one hundred percent. His, him expressing his views uh, or his beliefs around religion rather than it being, you know, some sort of way of, of, of getting um, out of jail free, so to speak. Um, look, the thing that I find interesting on all of this, there's a lot of commentary about it. There's a lot of commentary around the ARU not getting it right the first time. Um, you can argue whether or not they took too long the first time or not. But in some ways, I can sort of understand it. We've been having a... Uh, you know, just swapping messages, I think, um, amongst the crew over the weekend about this. And, and there's lots of different viewpoints. I think many of them are valid at the same time, actually, but just different ways of examining this. I, the reason why I think this is particularly interesting, it does, and, and I'm going to say this, and in no way justifies what Israel has done, nor does it say that I agree with what he has done, but I find it very, very interesting for us in terms of a society that has, you know, in terms of Anglo society is largely kind of Christian based or has been. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting at the end of the day, what Israel Folau put on his, it was an Instagram post, wasn't it? When he said, look, yeah. here are the you know, seven sins that you'll basically go to hell for. Um, and he had a whole bunch of different things in there, including idolatry and all sorts of archaic stuff. But obviously homosexuality was within that. But he basically tweeted, you know, what is, I guess, to the letter of the law within Christianity. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are Christians who don't agree with what he said. Um, and that's fair, which is also true at the same time. But if if you're sort of a strict evangelical um, hardcore Christian, those things that he wrote down are sort of teachings of that faith. So 
I think we're in a really interesting situation where, and but undoubtedly they clash with, I guess, the current mores of our society as far in you know around inclusion, and around you know demonising people based on their colour of their skin or you know or their uh, sexuality or their gender, and um, and so yeah we've you know I guess like we've had a few times recently, um, same sex marriage being another where you know you've got some really fundamental schisms happening in society between kind of religion and and what society deems as okay and good old israel Flau and ra <laughs> have managed to find themselves right in it um so anyway look it's a long-winded way of me saying i, I just think that this is much deeper than someone being misguided on on, on social media and and i think maybe for those reasons i can I can maybe um, sympathise with Raylene Castle and the RA if they've kind of thought, geez, you know, and they've maybe taken a little bit of time to figure out where they're going to go with all this. Yeah, I, I think I think everyone can sympathise with, with Rugby Australia and the situation that they're in. Um, I don't think anyone um, denies that they're in, a, they're in a very tough spot here. And I think if it was... Um, yeah, the thing that further complicates things is he's our best player, really. I mean, he's a three-time John Hills medalist. I mean, okay, people might we might disagree if he's the best player, but he's certainly in our, in our top five. And, and I think one of the few players that the Wallabies have that uh, are widely feared by people in other nations. Um, Jamie, uh, I'll throw to you. You were saying... Um, Offline, that that uh, you were at, I think a shoot shield game on the on the weekend, and just trying to gauge the uh, the opinion of of the rugby public, which is something I'm particularly interested in. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on on how this um, decision by Rugby Australia has 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 been taken at you know at, at the grassroots in clubland? Are people supportive of this? Do you think, or or is it a bit more split down well, the middle? And can and can just to get a complete picture, Jamie, were you walking around at a shoot shield game wearing your pro Christine Keneally? t-shirt because that yeah, that's right. might be, yes. that could be the important context to the reaction you got <laughs> no no i think i think the more relevant context was i was actually i was out at west harbour randwick um and i just finished refing a game in which i gave three yellow cards and two red cards so um, holy hell yeah w- no. were, were any of those for expressing religious views on field <laughs> um, <laughs> uh I'm not sure a chokehold on the ground is a religious view, but I'm sure I'm sure in some religion that's uh, seen as being a very important ritual. Um, <laughs> no, look, I I, I I was out at West Harbour Randwick, uh, at, at a, uh, um, obviously very large Islander support at West Harbour, and I was surprised talking to people how much support there was for Rugby Australia's position. Um, I also did what something that I usually never do, which is actually go through the comments online and look and see what people have said. And um, again, I was surprised by how many people supported Rugby Australia and I found it very cheering that they did that. Um, there were dissenters. There were a lot of people issues of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, more or less eloquently. Um, just as a general rule of thumb, if you can't comment on so like just just as a rule of thumb. Um, but overall, I think the reaction has been positive. It's Paul Cully's in the Sydney Morning Herald over the weekend, where he basically said Rugby Australia has made a huge mess of this. Rugby Australia has brought this on themselves. And I just really want to, to express that I, I couldn't be further from that. It wasn't Rugby Australia who chose to believe, 
be a, basically a religious fundamentalist. It wasn't Rugby Australia who chose to have these views. It wasn't Rugby Australia who chose to vilify a group in our society. It wasn't Rugby Australia who chose to express this on social media. I agree with you guys that Rugby Australia has been put in an incredibly, incredibly delicate and difficult situation. But the responsibility for that situation is 99% Israel Falau's. Um, and I think as much as we talk about Rugby Australia's shortcomings in other areas, and we can certainly talk about whether they should have taken this action a year ago, um, they moved very swiftly and decisively last week. And then um, Peter Beattie from the Rugby League moved equally swiftly and decisively, and so did the Prime Minister, like one, two, three, all in the space of a couple of hours. And that was, um, honestly, it was pretty heartwarming, to be honest. Um, I found that pretty inspiring. Yeah, and look, I, I think your experience at that game probably mirrors my experience in, in the workplace and just with friends. And I, I think broadly, I've been surprised to, to see the level of support behind Rugby Australia and, and the action that was taken. I think people um, have seen that this is probably, yeah, his time's up. Um, and I think after the first time it happened, I think Rugby Australia handled it well. I think at that time it probably would have been seen to be a bit of a, a, um, a an overreaction. It certainly would have been much more vocal opposition had Rugby Australia terminated his contract um, when this came up last um, time, which was, I think, um, midway through last year. Um, and I think what they said at the time was, well, look, you know, we'll gauge the reaction, which is obviously profoundly negative to, to the post itself, and we'll discipline Israel. But, you know, this is the first time it's happened. I think he's he's um, only expressing his religious opinions and, and we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that it was, that it was a bit of a one-off. Um, and it won't happen again, and he'll learn from the reaction. And of course, you know, the, uh, what happened recently was was showed that he hadn't learned at all. And and Rugby Australia reasonably gave him a chance, and he, um, he threw it back in their face essentially. And I think he's going to play dumb through this whole thing. It seems. And and look, to be brutally honest, um, you know, my impressions of Israel from having met him a couple of times. Um, and from what a few people seem to suggest, and is that I think he, yeah, Matt suggested it before. There's no malice in it. I think he's just a, a particularly religious bloke. I think he's not a particularly intelligent person, and he's being, um, you know, influenced by a lot of people in his church and his circle that 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 are pushing him to to um, do what he's done. And I think, look, there's a there's a, there's a real sadness to it from my perspective because I don't think there are any winners here. Yeah. Um, you I. Know, Sorry, sorry, Jamie. I'll just say rugby Australia is in a tough spot. Israel now, you know, I don't know what he does next personally, um, and and the whole, you know, not to mention the effect on the fellow players and 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 the fans who don't get to see this fantastic, really once in a generation talent. Now it seems to be lost to Australia, and that's that's really sad. Yeah, I really agree with that, Hugh. My my dominant feeling here is one of sadness. Um, I also wanted to say that in the conversations we had over the weekend, Matt said some stuff that really. Uh, stayed with me and I, I really agree with him that this there is actually a fundamental social issue here and that's why this issue is so interesting um, because we are talking about the limits of freedom of speech and freedom of religion and Rugby Australia is probably quite wisely focusing on the inclusion policy and the social media policy rather than weighing headlong into defining for the whole of Australian society where those boundaries lie and I think they did approach it well last year because it wasn't clear where that balance was. 
Um, it was then established and Israel then went through and trashed it anyway. Um, and for me, I think, you know, there are definitely many different perspectives on this, but it basically comes down to one thing. The heart of the matter comes down to one thing, which is in our society, we have already agreed that there are limits on the freedom of religion. You can't marry multiple people because your religion says you can. You can't go around um, denigrating black people because your religion says you can. Um, both of those were widespread practices for many years. You can't imprison your wife and rape her because your religion says you can, again. Um, and there's now a line being drawn in the sand that you can't go around vilifying one of the most vulnerable sectors of our society because your religion says you can. And I think, you know, we meet to talk about rugby all the time and it's great. It's a game that inspires us and something that we really love. And I just kind of get the feeling that when we look back on this in 20 years, this will probably be the moment that probably meant more than all the other podcasts um, because it was a chance for rugby to actually be in one of these big lasting conversations. And uh, to its credit, it's, it's chosen a good path. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I guess the, the conversation that we were having was about the you know, where this is in lines of sand, because in many of those examples you just gave, Jamie, would be somebody breaking the law. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. You know, and, and, and doing something in the physical world that actually doesn't require belief to know, well, what you've done, you know, is against a law that's set for whatever reason. So whereas what you could say in that tweet or that, that Instagram post is that only, and, and I'm going to say all in inverted commas, but, you know, and there's a reason why this is kind of on this um, and it isn't exonerated from it, but it is sort of a next step, which is that, you know, what that had said is if you believe in a Christian heaven and hell, if you believe in that, so if you're part of this religion and you believe in that, that this, these sets of, um, you know, as they would say, types of, of people or people who have either chosen or do these different things will go to hell. And so what it's not actually saying is, you know, um, you, that something should happen to you in this physical real world space, like you should, I don't know, be locked away or that you should be castrated or whatever it might be. It's saying that in my religion, which like, you know, um, I don't believe in those things in heaven and hell. So, like it, in, you could argue that it shouldn't bother me because, well, it's a make-believe thing, right? Um, but I think the difference is that what it's, you know, and so it's not inciting something in a physical world that you would say is clearly against the law. But I think the difference here is what it's saying is, and I think a lot of people have pointed this out, is that, you know, you can choose to steal, you can choose to be an adulterer or whatever else it is, and, you know, you, you don't choose to be homosexual and therefore you shouldn't be, um, even if it's, even if it is, a, I guess, a, a made up construct to many people, you therefore shouldn't be, I guess, like you said, vilified because of that and told that something about you is wrong because that's not something that you've chosen. But it's, it, it's a different, it is a, a, on a spectrum of incursion into what you're allowed to believe. Um, you know, and, and then talk about some of the same people. So that's okay, Matt, he can believe that he just can't talk about it. Well, 
he's also an evangelical Christian and the clues yes. in the name. <laughs> That's the know, whole point. <laughs> yeah, which is you're supposed to be out there telling everyone about God and, and Christianity. And if you're not doing that, then you're not being an evangelical Christian, right? So um, it's an interesting one because it basically says, yeah, sorry, guys, if you're a real evangelical Christian, you're going to have problems. Like, And there's probably, you know, actually, if you are really an evangelical hardcore Christian, there's not a spot for you in rugby. Because you can't walk around saying that homosexuals are going to hell. It's not okay. And and look, and that's not me making a judgment on whether that is or not. I'm just saying it's an interesting point we now find mm. ourselves in as a society and rugby is part of that, which is why it's a bigger thing than just a buffet on Twitter. Yeah, and, and on that point, I think it's interesting to note that there are plenty of evangelical Christians running around in sport across the world, including, you know, you only got to look at America um, and see how many evangelical Christians are, are floating around there, and it seems like this is actually this doesn't happen there. Um, that all of those athletes have managed to steer clear of this quagmire. I think there's a few boxes that might have veered into it, but I mean, let's not hold them up as a paragon of anything. Um, and and the other um, point on that is is an article written by I think Brian Houston in the Sydney Morning Herald. And Brian Houston is the um, founder of Hillsong Church in Sydney, who basically said. Whilst you know Israel's preaching the word of the Lord in some ways, there, I think there's a, a big part of Christianities have moved away from this sort of fire and brimstone yeah. approach to 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 being evangelical and actually trying to be more inclusive and tolerant and talk about you know the love of God and these sort of things. And that's a, not only is a more acceptable public um, you know way of being evangelical, but it's also a more effective way. Um, or effective way of getting donations, is that what you think? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but so, so you know, I think even within the Christian community, there's there's been a little bit of, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of an understanding that that this is a part of the 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 teaching that you probably turn the volume down on a little bit, and and um, and I think you know it seems like most people have seemed to have worked this out in Israel, still going the. The harder line, the you know the uh, the fire and brimstone stuff, which probably had its day even in religious circles about twenty or thirty years ago. Um, I'll pivot to you, Jamie, and 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 an interesting side note on this is something that we haven't fully seen yet is the reaction of other players. And yeah. Michael Hooper's come out, and I'd I'd say um, quite courageously in some ways has said that you know he is uncomfortable playing with with Israel now, um, and. Obviously, we saw some players um, liking the, the, the post. We saw um, previously some support for Israel uh, the last time he, he came for this, especially from some of the other evangelical players, a lot of them Islander um, descent, um, which we know, are, you know they're all very religious and we see them often praying uh, after games. Um, can you see any fallout from, from this course of action by Rugby Australia or do you think um, even he's a bit of an outlier in that, in that circle, although it's hard to know? Um, what's happening in the dressing room? But uh, yeah, what's your take? Uh, look, it's hard to know at the moment, but it, it is around at the players who have supported Israel. Um, two of the more prominent Australian ones were Alan Alalatoa and Samu Karevi. Um, one Samoan, one Fijian, both Islanders. And then something we didn't talk about earlier was it, it went international. Decided to wade in, dream of comments supporting Israel along the lines of. Uh, basically he said, look, this is what we believe. And, you know, t inclusion and tolerance is all great and stuff, but there becomes a certain time where it's just insulting and in conflict with what you've been brought up with and you have to say something. 
his comments were then supported by a bunch of other Islander descent players uh, playing over in the UK as well. And he was immediately by the Rugby Football Union and Saracens and was issued with a warning himself. Um, so this is an international thing. And uh, again, it's good to see the RFU and Saracens, um, you know, taking a stand. Um, but it's hard to see where it goes from here. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure there are too many professional rugby players who are going to risk their contracts by going down the Israel path. Um, and if anybody needs any proof of that, I would refer them to Murad Bujalal's comments of Toulon over the weekend, where someone put to him that he might want to sign Israel Folau. And he said, and I, this is almost verbatim, and he said, the guy is a moron. You've, you can only sign players who've got a brain. And I think there'll be a certain amount of wariness about signing players who uh, can, can might be social media liabilities. Yeah, I, I think um, it's an interesting point. Um, and back to those players quickly. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold back on judging anyone who likes an Instagram post. Yeah, uh, me too. I, I feel I... like the amount of thought that people put in before liking a post. And I think these guys are generally religious and that, and you know, they might, you know, they might not have actually engaged with the, all the content of that post. And they just saw a general sort of turn to the Lord kind of post and said, yep, great. I'm for that too. Um, I'll tell you what, in the future, they'll be much respect about which posts they like. <laughs> I think that's going to change. Yeah. I, I'd imagine that that's true. Um, but yeah, Andrew Webster uh, in that article you mentioned, Matt, did say that it seemed like even some people in Wallaby camp were starting to, you know, he tried to convert a few of them and he was starting to make a few people uncomfortable and that this was a fairly sort of recent phenomenon. Um, and I think Michael Checker's comments were, were also interesting, Matt, and I might get you to to comment on that. Um, do you think Checker was, was right to come out and say he won't pick him? I mean, obviously there's still a procedure going on here and... and um, and you know, if if Israel does for whatever reason come out the other end of that, uh, it's it's it might look a little bit premature for Michael Checker to have already ruled him out. But it seems like Rugby Australia are pretty united on this, and and presenting a united front was probably probably seen as being a bit more important than that. Do you think? Well, it's interesting. I, I like uh, I'm not being a legal eagle, but I'm just sort of thinking that if he gets like let's say this goes to tribunal or something and he gets put through and it's okay i mean where's checker at then having said oh i'm not going to pick you anyway um i'm i mean look in in a normal work contract you might sort of start thinking is this you know constructive dismissal or you know unfair dismissal or something like that i don't know i I don't know I, 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 i wouldn't know how that would work here I think if he's still getting paid but not getting picked, there's no dismissal. He's he's still in his job. Yeah, yeah and, and Michael Checker could, could just come out and say, I'm not picking him because his defence isn't good or something. It's same, same sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the well, coach has a prerogative to pick people on whatever grounds he wants. Well, he would have if he hadn't said what he's just said. Um, it's, it's a bit obvious now when he said, you know, in this comment where he's connected the two things. And um, you get, you know, the way it works is that you get performance money. Um, which is a big, big chunk. So yeah, you get your base contract, but I think it's something like, you know, it's a it's a good, decent chunk of money that you get per um, per yes, run on, yeah. yeah, for the Wallabies. So yeah, it would definitely have financial impact on him. But anyway, look, I mean, um, I, yeah, basically, I, I don't know the answer to that one. But yeah, I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite it's interesting, and I guess it shows you how the, t- the tide has turned there. Um, that you know, those two people who you would have thought, I mean, you know, 
Czech is usually the last person to walk away from a player, as we all know. Um, and so for him to have done that, I mean, maybe you, you connect the dots and you say, hmm. Um, it also kind of leads me into probably our next question, unless anyone else had anything on this, which was just, and what does that mean as far as losing Israel, the player? Um, you know, uh, oh, it's, uh, you know, in terms of, because oh, I've got to say, and I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts, that even though he is, and I would think we'd have to, I think most people would agree, um, the most athletically or gifted rugby player that's out there at the moment, or athletically formidable rugby player. It just, you know, in terms of, I don't know, size, power, you know, um, many other capabilities. Um, he's also quite a limited one-dimensional player and completely changes the way that any of the teams that he plays in can play in terms of um, smart rugby. And I, and I think we've talked about this for a while now, that when you get to, to test level and you need to be able to, you know, play more than one um, way, uh, he really, really limits you in, in, in that situation. And I, and I also wonder whether, I don't know, I could be talking out of my ass here because he is such a fine athlete, but I do wonder whether there's also a bit of a, well, you know what, at least we won't have to do A, B and C, or, or we can't, you know, at least we will be able to do X, Y and Z without him in the team. And I wonder if that started to creep in as well. Yeah, look, I think, Matt, you are talking out your ass a little bit there. Um, <laughs> look, I see your point, but I, I think at a certain point you've got to take a step back from this. And, and yep, look, the bloke's kicking game has always been below par. Um, you know, he sometimes gets caught out of position. His defense is not fantastic. His rugby IQ is probably not great. But he, he passes he just, into touch. He runs pa- sideways. Can't pass. Can't he pass. Can't, he's, he's managed how many for every try that he scores these days, he kills another with somebody that he you know who's he could easily have passed to, but the guy's over on the ball by then because he's, he's tried to do you know too many things. And in terms of getting caught out of the defensive position, sometimes it's constantly. Well, <laughs> but but that said. There's he's a reason why he's top of the all-time Super Rugby try scorers list, and he's only played for for what five years. You know, it's it's um, it's it's absolutely phenomenal the rate at which that that man can score tries and find the try line, and his aerial skills are something that we've never seen before, nor will we ever see again. And you know, you only got to think back to those 2010, 11, 12 days with Kurtley Gilbert Beale. You know, the ball cannoning off his head every time the up and under went went into us. Um, to remember how bad we were at that and how much he's, he's, he's changed the way that teams play us um, in terms of that high-kicking game and the way that we've attacked um, you know, the, the opposition in terms of using our kicking game as a real weapon. And even the, you know, the Waratahs we've seen it this year, I think they've scored, what, five or six tries directly from those kicks from, from Israel Folau. And there's no other player in world rugby, let alone Australian rugby, who can do that. Um, and and that is something that we are never going to get back. And I think he's just a player that that has that world class ability to just do things that no one else can. And as much as the flaws you mentioned are there, I agree with you. I think we're undoubtedly a much poorer team without having him in our fifteen. Now, does it make the difference between winning and losing? You, you could you could argue that it probably doesn't. That you know our deficiencies are. 
you know, physical up front. They're, you know, tactical in terms of our 9-10. Um, but, you know, just the amount of tries that that bloke scores every year that now we're going to have to find from someone else, um, someone who's not as much of an athlete, someone who's not as savvy and attacking player. Um, look, I, I, I just can't see a, a way of thinking that it's not, a big negative for both, especially for the Waratahs, but also for the Wallabies. Jamie, do you agree? Yeah, I'm, I'm much more in the Hugh camp than the than the Matt camp. I I really think about Israel Folau as two different players, and uh, before and after the injury that he suffered in the 2015 World Cup, when he played on and was on one leg, I mean, he really couldn't do much. And then after that World Cup, the Wallaby setup just collapsed so quickly. And he had to bear a bigger and bigger burden for the team. And I think that led to the running across field, that led to the force offload, that led to them trying to use him at 13 and trying to use him at the wing and trying almost anything to try to get him the ball more often. Um, Before that, it was a different story with other players creating opportunities around him. He's an amazingly talented player. He's really good at support play. He's great at finishing. He knows where the line is plus the aerial skills, both in attack and defense. Um, you know, I think, so I think a lot of the things that we see with him today um, are, are different from then, and, and they're products of the shortcomings of Australian rugby more generally. But I really want to emphasize, he's just a tremendous player. I mean, when he is, you know, that try he scored against Argentina last year when he was playing on the blindside wing, got a crash ball inside at the back of the line out and did a right foot step plus five people to score in the corner. I mean, it, it is ridiculous to even think that someone else in world rugby can score that try. Like no, no one can even come close. He's a special talent. I think we will always think of him as a special rugby talent. He is easily the most naturally gifted player I think uh, I've ever seen. And even a couple of weeks ago, going to the SCG, as soon as he gets the ball, just the intensity that he attacks the line with, he, he really reminds me of Ma Nonu in that sense, that he never submits, he never thinks, oh, I'm just gaining ground here. He tries to break every single tackle, and you can just see the whole crowd just gets a little bit, uh, a little bit tense when he gets the ball and, and wants him to, to do something. And it is so sad. It is so sad that he's managed to throw his career away over this. And it is so sad that Australian rugby won't have him because he is he's just a wonderful, wonderful player. Well, I'd like to agree with both of you, but then all three of us would be wrong. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I, it, my, my thing is that I do think, though, that you got to th- you also got to split him out from super rugby and then international rugby. And like I say, I think the demands on the team are obviously much, much higher than international game. And I, I do think that's where he's got more exposed. I think also at that level, that's where maybe it's partly that injury, Jamie, maybe it's he just got worked out. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he came on the scene in 2013. He had, um, you know, he had, he had 14 and 15. And then since then, you know, people started getting cuter in the air. Um, he's, you know, not, he's not always legal. He's definitely noticeably slower. Like we've we've really noticed other teams chasing him down the last year or so. Like that's definitely happened. Oh, but he, uh, but he was never fantastic. He was never I mean, quick. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, over, <laughs> he had a first. Yeah. He he had a he had an amazing first sort of twenty meter burst of acceleration. But but his sort of hundred you know those long yeah. intercepts and those sort of things. 
He wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't going he, away from people. No, no. His straight line speed has never been his strength, but he's he's still quick, guys. He's still quick. <laughs> look, we could no, not look, catch I, him. So, so I'm saying, I could tackle him. But um, <laughs> the, look, let's let's pivot from that a little bit. I mean, my my last comment on that is I, one of the other reasons why I think this is so sad is that he had the potential to be the all time great. You know, he just signed another four year contract. Um, you know, who knows what he could have achieved in that time. And the try scoring numbers are already just astronomical. Um, and, you know, we've been blessed in this country by some amazing fullbacks. And on Twitter, I think, or, or I think it was on the forum, we were debating, you know, where he sits in regards to Chris Latham, in regards to Matt Burke, um, you know, Roger Gould. And I think there was a view that, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't got to Matt Burke's level yet. Um, but certainly, you know, with a few more years under his belt, his numbers would be hard to ignore. But now, you know, his his legacy, you feel like, comes with a bit of an asterisk, doesn't it? You know, those John Eels medals, the try scoring, all of the, the, the highlights packages, uh, I think it's going to have a, a bit of a tinge of, of sadness to it, watching it in future years, knowing that, you know, we never quite got to see everything um, and ne- never got to see the full career. And that, that was all his own doing. But um, look, we'll, we'll move on a little bit, Jamie, and, and I'll say to you, in the absence of Israel Falau, who do you think um, should be picked as, as the Wallaby fullback and, and the make of that Wallaby back three? Yeah, look, I, I think inevitably it'll be Dane Haylett Petty. I think uh, it's the logical choice. Um, the others in the back three is a really open question. I mean, they're about seven or eight different players who've been given chances in those roles over the last three years and none of them have done even a half-decent job of showing that they're ready for Test Rugby. Um, uh, it's been extremely disappointing and I imagine that would be one of Michael Checker's most frustrating experiences as the head coach of the Wallabies has been uh, the ability of the guys that he's given chances to on the wings to constantly disappoint him. Is that, um, is that when, too downcast? I'm just, you know, just playing well, to type, you know. Well, let me throw another. So what about Hodge at 15? Yeah, look, I think Hodge is a possible. Um, he's definitely got that really awesome knack of just doing the right thing at the right time. I mean, his try-scoring yeah. record himself is, is astonishing, um, like truly, truly astonishing. And having a guy like that in your team is, is not to be uh, overestimated, but he doesn't have those other things. He doesn't have you know, much straight line pace. He's, you know, he's not super elusive. He doesn't have good feet, but he, he gets the job done somehow. So he's definitely an option, I'd say. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we've seen Hodge actually score a couple of sort of runaway tries, um, I think even at international level. I Actually, in the 100 metres, I'd be interested to see him versus Izzy. Um, really? Yeah, I would. Well, and, and the thing about Hodge is is that long kicking game too. That you know, yeah. we remember he he practically won us a Bledisloe in Brisbane. You know, on the back of some you know two late penalties from sort of fifty meters out, and that's something that no one else brings to the table. I, I mean, I think I think he's there or thereabouts in any Wallaby team. I think the guy that I mean, we we know Checkers' favourites here, and I think Marika Korobiti is certainly one of those. I'd throw in Jack Maddox as well. I think we've seen Michael Checker. Um, looking to include Maddox um, in at the back end of that season, and and, and he's come. You can't deny he's come along this this year. Um, you know, admittedly on at the end of a pretty red hot Rebels backline, but um, he certainly has grown and he looks far more mature in the way that he um, takes options. And I I think he'd be one that that I'd expect to see 
um, pulling on the gold jersey at some point, some point later this year. I mean, um, the other, the other bloke you, you'd have to think about is where Kurt Beal fits into all this. Yeah. Um, and you know, you think we've got Matt Tamua, who is not the incumbent at twelve because he finished the year at ten, but certainly you'd be thinking he would have an inside track into that that twelve jersey. And Samu Karevi as well is is just in outstanding form and and you think that the temptation might be to keep either Samu Karevi there or put Matsumura there and move Kurtley Beal to, to fullback or the wing. Um, Jamie, do you, do you agree? Um, yeah, I do think there'll be a temptation to move Beal to 15, but I just getting back to a couple of those other people, I mean, Jack Maddox defense on the wing is a, a serious problem. I mean, he's, he's not a big guy and that, that is a problem on the wing and international level. And Marika Corabetti, I, I still sometimes watch him and can't believe he's not playing club rugby. He seems to have this instinctive idea that you should run at people rather than at space. And that is really fundamental to being a rugby union winger. And I I don't think we can pick someone at international level who doesn't understand that. Um, I I just think we need someone with more game sense. And Reese Hodge has got that in spades. So I think Hodge is, is, is a good bet for that matter. I still think Henry Spate might be able to pull it out of the bag. You know, he's very oh, out of favour at the moment. I know, I, can he- I, I know, Matt, I can hear you, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can still see a potential there, to be honest. So, um, But, I mean, I was uh, – I'm going to name drop a bit here, but, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to have a bit of time this afternoon with Ben Darwin, who was in town, and we caught up for a bit of a yarn. Um, and, you know, which just makes me think about the whole cohesion uh, factor. So if you're thinking – like how, you know, the key way for, you know, um, to raise the chance of you winning is to have more time with key people together. And if you look, think about that, like as a cohesive unit, then playing at the Rebels, you've got, um, you know, Hodge, Haylett Petty and Corabetti all playing in a back three. Um, so, you know, you can think about them there, which then means you can keep Beal together with Foley, and I'm um, going to listen to everyone explode this in the podcast, like a, a Jake Gordon or or, or even a or, a or a Fanger if you're if you're a fan and you've got a you've got something there. Or okay, and I'll make the Queenslanders slash um, Victorians happy and go. You think about the other, or you swap that out, and you're talking about um, you know uh, Genia. Um, uh, some guy who plays at ten used to play with Genia in um, in, in Queensland. Sorry, who could um, that be? I don't I don't know who you're talking about. Who could that be? <laughs> Quade Cooper, Ben Lucas. Yeah, Ben Lucas. And, and you could even start, you know, you could even start looking at oh, what's his name? He's playing you know, a fantastic job at twelve um, uh, for the Rebels as well. Um, Billy Meeks. Billy Meeks. Um, so you know, so you've done your research as always, Matt. Yeah, you've got, you, you, it's it's just my Alzheimer's, mate. Um, so you, you've got a few units, you know, you've got a few pods there. Obviously, the, the wisdom is no, no, you pick the very best people and somehow they'll all gel um, as a Wallaby 15. But I think you've got a potential few units there and that back unit um, that you talked about um, uh, where you, you know, um, maybe whether it's Hodge at the back or Hodge on the wing and then Dane have a Betty at the back. I mean, you know, suddenly you've got a very different, you know, at the moment we just keep getting caught in our half. That wouldn't be happening with those with those uh, two guys at the back. Yeah. And look, yeah. I mean, oh, sorry, I want to briefly just touch on Samu Karevi. He's, a, you know, in, oh. in that sort of, in that cohesion matrix is the one that gets left out. But at the moment, 
is in just probably the form Australian player at the moment. And 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 I mentioned on Twitter that I think he's a guy that if Falau's contract is in fact terminated, he's someone that we need to to lock up. And it looks like he might have already signed offshore in Japan. We're, we're not um, nothing's been formally announced yet, but. Uh, certainly I'd be looking at get-out clauses to that deal if he's already put pen to paper because he is a guy that, that now I think is, is, a, is a real asset for, the, for Australian rugby. Even without Falau, uh, yeah, even if Falau was here, I'd say we should be going after him. But now we've got a little bit of extra money in the back pocket. He's a guy that we need to tie up because um, you know, he's uh, in such fantastic form at the moment for, for, and, and is, is carrying a, the Queensland Reds uh, oh almost single-handedly. Um, and, um, yeah, he's a, he's a guy that we really need to hang on to, Jamie. Well, sorry, I'm what were you su- going to say? I'm surprised he hasn't, like, gone out for the season with a slipped disc from, from carrying that team because he's the only thing standing between the Queensland Reds and just complete oblivion. He makes everything good happen for them, and he looks like such a star. He's only 25. Uh, I, I really agree they, they should do everything they can to keep him. Um, by the way, I just quit Google to try to get a fact to actually back up my opinion. You know, I know we don't do this on this podcast, but I thought I'd, you know, give, give it a go. No need um, for this. No need for this. Um, and I was trying to, you know, this idea that Reese Hodge is just the guy who pops up in the right place, scores tries. He's already almost halfway to what is now Israel Folau's super rugby record, and he made his debut three years ago. So are you saying Reese Hodge scores- is better than... And fall out. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Because I think that's what you're saying. I think I think yeah, good. I think, we've got a... I think he's saying I'm right and you're both wrong. If no, no, <laughs> I, no, no. That's no, exactly I'm saying, what I'm hearing. No, no. I'm being inclusive, Matt. Um, we're all right <laughs> in different ways. Um, no, no. I'm the more, the, point, now, the point. The point was, look, he really does score a lot of tries. He is a guy who goes under the radar and he gets things done. Um, I mean, to have played for three years and be halfway to that Super Rugby record for a guy who's not a flashy player is pretty impressive. Yes. Well, um, and he does seem to have gone to a school in Manly that does seem to be non-religious too. So that's all I'll say about Reese Hodge. Um, could have a very, very long career. Um, okay. Um, let's, let's pivot. So I think, I think we've, we've, um, probably squeezed all the juice out of that particular orange. Um, We'll finish up with a brief chat around Super Rugby. Um, we a bit of a down week, I think it's fair to say. The Brumbies were the were the uh, bright bright stars of the conference, beating the um, beating the Lions, which is actually no mean feat. I'm, I'm, um, even though the South African conference is a bit of a bit of a uh, mess at the moment, um, but they beat the Lions in, at Geo Stadium there. The, the Rebels went down to the Stormers, <laughs> comfortably went down, and it was a pretty bizarre game to watch, including a, a pretty trademark Quade Cooper brain snap. But um, obviously Matt hadn't seen that game. Otherwise, I think it would have been brought up uh, probably a bit earlier in the podcast. Oh, um, my God, just describe it. No, no, it, uh, was the bounce of, it was the bounce of the ball. Come on, He here, decided right? to attack... He decided to attack a, a, a kick that was going to... And instead of sitting back and waiting for it to bounce, he sort of tried to take it on the half volley. Oh, um, come on. And the ball sort of cannoned off his arm into the opposition and they went and scored directly from him. Um, <laughs> Could have happened to anyone. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but all that was <laughs> Yes. Um, anyway, and then the Bulls uh, got up over the Reds at Loftus. Um, and apparent, and uh, I've seen the highlights that looked fairly comfortable, 32-17. This week we've got um, the... 
nothing on Friday night. Uh, we've got a Friday night Sunwolves Hurricanes game, um, so that'll be great. Uh, Sharks the Reds at eleven oh five, and then we go into back to back games on the Saturday. We've got a, a bit of a uh, start with the Highlanders Blues, then we go to the Waratahs Rebels. Top of the table clash in the conference, and then finish with Stormers Brumbies. Um, the latter, as it stands, has got the Rebels um, with a seven-point lead over the Waratahs, so nothing that happens will affect um, that particular standing. But with the Israel Folau situation with Kurtley Beal uh, battling tonsillitis, Jamie, you'd have to say, if you were a Rebels fan, there's never been a better time to come to New South Wales to play the Waratahs. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, and they need the win. I mean, they just... They just didn't turn up last week against the Stormers. Losing at home against a South African team on match four of a four-match trip is pretty bad. Um, and they've still got a lot of big games to come, the Rebels. I think they've still got the Crusaders and the Hurricanes. Uh, uh, so you want to be winning games like this against the wounded atheists, I mean Waratahs. Um, and, yeah, I think they want, to, they want to get through that. And I think the Waratahs will be pretty, pretty disrupted, as Nick Phipps said today. They do have a good record over the Rebels, though, Matt. So, you know, and playing at home, um, you know, these are the type of games the Waratahs just turn into a, to a scrap and they might actually actually win. Um, what's your well, tip for the game? Well, mate, did, did you guys see what the Rebels' uh, tackle completion percentage was <laughs> yes. last weekend? What it was, was it? For, it was 44%. Oh, so I mean, which which amazes me that they didn't lose by more. Um, so anyway, if they bring that sort of game um, with a bit of quiet magic, um, then you never know what could happen. Um, have we got? Is Hooper playing? Do we know that? Is he back on? Because he, he got rested in the last. Yeah, last I, I, I think you can expect him to be back. Yeah. Oh, so you never know. Um, could be a bit of a scrap. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Tars. Go on. Why not? I think the Tars, we forget the Tars pack has been performing pretty well, although that does kind of rely on Holloway being back, and I haven't heard about that. Yeah, I haven't heard about that one either. Jamie, we've got two teams in South Africa. Well, sorry, I'll give everyone what I think, which is probably the reason why most people tune in. Um, it is. It is. That's why I tune in. I'm just here to hear you, Hugh. Look, I, I think that the, the Tars are so hot and cold at the moment. You know, they, 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 they beat the Crusaders and they dropped the Sunwolves. Um, they weren't bad in that loss to the Blues, I've got to say. Um, you know, the Blues that are resurgent from, from probably what they used to be. Um, and this is the type of game I can just see them getting up and winning. Um, and uh, Rebels are my second team, and I kind of a part of me wants them to run away and actually really challenge for the title this year. And These are the sort of games that they have to win if they want to do that. But, geez, I just think the Waratahs can play spoiler here, and they might just... Um, bring it down a little bit. And the one guy that I'll I'll give a shout-out to who I think has been enormous in, in the last couple of weeks is Harry Johnson-Holmes, uh, loose head prop. Um, and the scrum battle was where a bit of an Achilles heel for the Rebels. Um, and I, I'd be interested to see how Harry Johnson-Holmes fares um, because I think with a few injuries, um, he is in line for a Wallabies berth. With a few injuries. Um, because obviously Scotty Seo and James Slipper are both in absolutely sensational form this year. Um, Jamie... Last question before we wrap up. We've got two teams, Reds and the Brumbies in South Africa. Have either of them got a hope of beating the Sharks um, in the Reds' case or the Stormers in the Brumbies' case? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, the Sharks have been very hot and cold. I think they won by 40 the other week and then lost by 40 last week. So, But even the Reds can't do them 
in Durban. Uh, the Brumbies, I think, are a decent chance in Cape Town. The Storm, the same amount that they have, um, you know, the long trip back. And uh, the Brumbies are playing some some interesting rugby at the moment, so possible. And the only thing I'll say is the Brumbies always step up and win a game in South Africa. They travel better than any other Australian team. Don't know what it is about it, but they always win in South Africa. It's just great um, to get out of Canberra. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> Canberra, exactly the Bloemfontein the right. of Australia. Yeah. And, and, can, and can I say that um, as long as Lockie McCaffrey is playing, anything could happen for the Brumbies. Well, yes, yeah. again, oh, another amazing match. This guy is absolutely turning it on. How how weird is it to see like a number eight throwing beautiful cutout passes to unmarked men? Like no more than logic, but mm. it's just it's it almost seems to be that gap between the type of player you see at club level who has got that nous, and it just seems to get coached out at the professional level here. And it's beautiful to watch him play. Like he's got such great game sense, really. Yeah, and then, uh, and then, he'll, in, then then he'll scrap around to pick something off the ground. I mean, you know, it's oh not yeah. Like, He's not just doing a Higginbotham. I mean, he's he's doing all the dirty work as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and, and he's yeah. he's in the line out. He's topping the tackle count. He's running the ball. He's scoring tries. Like he's, yeah, yeah. the the full deal at the moment. I don't know how you wouldn't give him. You'd, you'd have to have him in as a bolter at the moment on on form. Absolutely. And you can guarantee he won't be picked. Um, so, <laughs> on that slightly depressing note, no, we're not going to end on a depressing note. We're going to end on a, on a happy note, which is to give a shout-out to a, a big friend of the podcast in previous years, uh, Big Kev Horwell, James Horwell, um, who's hung up hung up the boots this week. Uh, what a stellar career he's had. And I think he, he could have racked up um, plenty of appearances on this podcast over the years. He, he, the early days, the earliest, as I remember, he used to be a regular uh, guest of ours and certainly was always a, a pleasure to talk to and, and a great bloke in real life too. So um, uh, a shout-out to him as, uh, for, for a fantastic career. Um, yeah. Matt and Jamie, thank, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining me this week. Uh, any final thoughts? No, Insight I think things, we always. Really, thank you very much. I think um, we really have had our fill this week. Yeah. <laughs> Religious freedom, uh, well and truly covered. Yeah, <laughs> we've got we've done the big issues. So we've done Christianity. Next podcast, we're moving on to some of the other faiths. So uh, <laughs> look, look at Red just got some really interesting thoughts on Hinduism, but um, we will. We'll <laughs> the they're fairly rabid. They are fairly rabid, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh... Anyway, um, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer. beer.